0: All right, Two Cities Church, my name is Kyle, I'm one of the pastors here, and if you're new, I want you to know this, we love couples, we love individuals, we love families. Uh, A couple weeks ago we talked about how we love moms, and today on Father's Day, we just wanna take a moment and say how much we love dads. If you were to watch the average sitcom, you would think the dad is the stupidest person in the world, right? The average sitcom is like, dad's an idiot and the dog saves the day, okay? Uh, Somehow that's what happens, Uh, but here's what I wanna tell you men, you men who will be fathers and you men who are fathers, you are one of the greatest gifts God has given to your family. In fact, when, yes, when God revealed himself primarily in the New Testament, he does so as a dad. And here's what a dad does. And many of you, and I'm sorry, you did not have a good dad. You had a dad who abandoned, who abused, or who abdicated his authority. By the way, you can change that. You can be the first link in a brand new chain. But well, here's what a dad does. A dad does three things. He says, one, he says, I've been there. That's what a dad says. It's hard to make enough money. It's hard to marry a woman. It's hard to stay married. It's hard to raise kids. And the more you do in life, the more you think to yourself, how did my dad do this? And one of the great encourages in, in, in life is to know my dad did this. It's one of the, one of the reasons to model in front of your fa- family a faithful Christian life. Secondly, a dad says, I'm with you. That's what a dad says. By the way, a dad, if I can use kind of a sports analogy, a dad is like a backstop behind the catcher. It's like what a dad does in a person's life is he makes his sons and daughters more bold. If you are somebody who are afraid of commitments and you are afraid of taking risks, there is a chance you don't have a good relation with your dad. Because what a dad says is, go start that business. Go date that woman. Go take some chances. I'm here. And then finally, a dad says, I believe in you. I'm watching you. I'm proud of you. There is nothing more powerful. What does God say at Jesus' baptism? That's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What does God say at his son's transfiguration? That's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And one of the great things, dads, that you can do is to connect your family meaningfully to the church. It doesn't have to be our church, but it must be a church. And we have an opportunity for you. If you are not in a community group yet, but you've gone through a weekender, both of those things. You've gone through a weekender, and there's about 350 of you in the last seven months who've gone through a weekender here. We've grown a lot. And, 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 uh, but if you've gone through a weekender, and you're not in a community group, and there's 150 of you, we know it, okay? Uh, we, we keep the numbers. We, we know there's 150 of you who you went to weekender, you've not been in a community group yet. Next Sunday, after the second service, for 30 minutes, we're going to have something called Group Connect. We are going to launch 10 new groups. We launch new groups for new people. If you want to get everything you can out of this series, you got to get in a group. If you want to be connected to the two things you're going to need the rest of your life, people who love you and people who know the Bible, you need to get in a group. I want you to understand that at Two Cities Church, groups are not secondary or peripheral. We are not a church with community groups. We are a church of community groups. It is a critical extension and expression of our church. So if you come next week after this service... The second service, you're not saying I'm committed to be in this group forever. You're saying, I want to take my next step to get more deeply connected to God's people and God's mission. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the men in this room that they would be active, not passive, that they would be um, tender with the people they love and tough for the people they love. Lord, I pray that one of the unique dimensions in the life of our church would be a strong call for men to be men. That the greatest thing that a man can do is begin to take responsibility for first himself, then his wife, then his family. Lord, I want to pray as we dive into a pa- this passage today that you would give us much grace to listen together. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is going to be a long sermon you might want to, I hope you packed a snack and a bottle of water. I've already told, we already told the staff that uh, we're not doing communion today because we are covering some of the most uh, controversial verses in the book of 1 Peter. If you open up the 1 Peter chapter 3, a stick of dynamite will fall out of your Bible. Um, Or you'll find a powder keg there because this is an explosive passage. And one of our deep convictions here is that we are not over God's word, but we are under it. And so when we come to passages like this, we are not God's editors, we are God's messengers. Uh, what this means is we don't read it and go, how can I make this say the opposite of what it's saying? Which is what happens to a lot of passages that we don't like what they say. See, we're going to talk today about a wife's submission to her husband. That's what we're going to spend 45 or 50 minutes talking about at the end we're, as well. There's a, there's a part that the man, men, men are talked to, the husbands are talked to as well. But I want you to understand that submission to your husband, there's a deeper issue behind that. And I'm going to explain what all these things mean. But there is a deeper issue behind it, and it's submission to God's word. There is a primary, a foundational, and a first submission that must happen to God's word. And then when it says things that we don't necessarily like or they taught us different at Wake Forest University or UNC, and it contradicts what the scripture says, then we change our mind and we believe what the Bible believes. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, oh, the Bible says something different, and now I believe that. Now I change it. And my Christian faith is most seen in the areas I'm willing to repent the most. See, Jesus said the truth will set you free, but it'll make you miserable first. <laughs> it'll set you free, but the worst parts of you will have to die and burn off. And who knows how much you love the worst things about yourself. And so I'm gonna read this passage in its entirety. It's only seven verses. And, and as I read it, you're going to see why this is so controversial. Because we live in a society um, that is confused about both marriage and about um, biblical manhood and womanhood. Let me read this passage. 1 Peter 3, chapters 1 through 7. Likewise, likewise, wives, be subject that's submission. We're in a larger um, idea in the book of 1 Peter on submission that we submit to government, we submit to God, we submit to um, work, and now there's submission in the home. It says this Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Then he gives us an example in verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. So the women get six verses, and then the men, they get this one verse. Now, in other places of Scripture, it's the opposite. In in, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, much more is said to the man, to the husband, than to the wife. But in this situation, more is said to the wife. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, it means according to knowledge. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We're going to talk about what that means. That's why this will be a long sermon, okay? (laughs) Since they are heirs with you. Now, that's awesome. Do you see that? There's, There's both the equality and the difference of man and woman. That they are fellow heirs. There's nothing that could be said higher. You're both sons and daughters of God who will inherit everything God has for you. But then it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and then a warning to men, a warning to husbands, a warning to fathers, if you don't live according to the way God calls you to live, I don't listen to your prayers. He says this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So I've got to say a lot today. There's, there's several, here's what makes this sermon slash passage difficult on several levels. Um, it talks about two things our culture is very confused about. I'm going to try to kind of intro both. It talks about marriage, and it talks about gender and sex and roles and responsibilities and manhood and womanhood and masculinity and femininity and male and female. And both of these are in the same passage. See, our culture is very confused. The world in its wisdom does not know God. God. And so, what we're seeing is a culture that's very confused about marriage. The culture today views marriage as a contract, but it's really a covenant. A contract is uh, let's make sure I get everything I want out of this. And if I don't, and if I'm not satisfied, I'm breaking this contract. That's what a contract is. That's how the world views marriage. Marriage is actually a covenant. A covenant says something very different I'm only getting out of this by death. And I exist to serve you and to do the parts of the covenant and the vows I take. My job is to live those out. That's covenantal thinking, not contractual thinking. The quintessential example of contractual thinking is the prenuptial agreement, which says, let's get our divorce figured out before we get our marriage figured out. Secondly, we, we marriage, divorce is growing in our culture, especially what are called gray divorces. That's divorces with people with gray hair. What happens is when you are sexless roommates raising kids, when you are sexless roommates raising kids for 25, 30 years, and you begin to live two separate lives. By the way, one of the newest trends in housing is to build two separate master bedrooms. Let's live two separate lives, and then when our kids go to college, oh yeah, it makes sense for us, and we have enough money. It makes sense for us no longer to be together. This is the obvious conclusion of living two separate lives which is one of the reasons why marriage and oneness must be pursued. Uh, Another way is, is so on the the older adults, they're getting divorced actually more, the younger adults are delaying it. So on one end there's divorce, on the other end there's delay. What, What happened is marriage used to be the very beginning of adulthood. It's like I'm going to get married and then we'll buy a house, and then we'll have our careers, and then we'll have our kids, and then we'll do our hobbies. And what happens today? It's the exact opposite. Marriage is kind of the final thing that I might do after I've done everything else I would like to do as an adult. After I've been educated, after I've traveled the world, after I've discovered my inner self, after I've done all my hobbies, then I might get married. And then there are many substitutes that people are saying, oh, this this is as good as marriage, and it's not. Cohabitation is not as good as marriage. You cannot practice marriage. You can't practice being one flesh. See, what marriage is, is it's one man, one lifetime, uh, one flesh. It's one last name. It's one bank account. It's one bed. It's one family. It's one vision for your life. It's like, that's what marriage is. So that's marriage. Then there's biblical manhood and womanhood. We live in a society that is, the obvious becomes profound because we live in a culture so confused about manhood and womanhood. See, See, the first thing God tells us after we're creating God's image, is that we're male and female. There's three things that are said in the beginning of the Bible that are essential to understand yourself, no matter you're a Christian or not a Christian. That One is that you're made in God's image. Well, what does the world say? No, you're an accident. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says you're a unique design, and, and the world says, no, your time, matter, and chance somehow made you. The Bible says you're male and female. It's binary, biological, and biblical. And they say, no, 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 no. Gender is fluid, and it's how I feel. And then they say, your body and your soul. In other words, there's an invisible, eternal part of you that will live forever. And it says, no, no, you're just a body. So there are so many lies about this that have to be talked about before we can even get to this text. Like, um, th- There are three lies I can think of right now. One is that um, gen- the genders are the exact same. We're not the exact same. Now, we are more the same than different, but we are not the exact same. We are saved the same way. We're both in God's image. We have the same mission. We have the same spiritual gifts. Um, but our differences are distinct and forever. You will be male and female in heaven forever. It is a deep part of who you are. Another, another lie is that um, one is superior to another. This is a more commonly believed to say. Now, Either that there's radical feminism or there's chauvinism. And we have to say, no, women are not better than men. Nope. men are not better than women. Both are equally made in God's image, both are equally fallen. And another is, oh, this is all just socially constructed. It's all nurture, it's no nature. And so you have to have all of that kind of in mind as we approach a text that talks about the way that husbands and wives should relate to themselves, to each other. And it's going to take work for a marriage to work. It's going to take work for a marriage to work. And I want want to tell you four things about submission today. Four things that arise directly out of this passage about submission. And the first is that a wife's submission is missional. A wife's submission is missional. Look at verse one. Likewise, wives be subject. And I'm going to talk about what submission is in a second. Be subject to your own husbands. And then there's a big, so that when God asks you to do something hard, he tells you why. He's like, I know this is going to be difficult, so I'm going to tell you it's not to be blind, it's not to be meaningless, it's not to be purposeless. There is a great purpose in submitting to your husband. And he says, what's going to happen, look at this. Likewise, be subject to your own husbands, so that. Here's the great hope. Because what happened in this situation was two unbelievers got married, and then God saved one of them. And the woman became a Christian, and she goes, what do I do now? And he says, I want you to tell I want you to tell your husband about Christ, and then I want you to preach wordless sermons with your life. After you've given them the word, you live the word. So he says this, likewise wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. He's saying that, and I've actually seen this, There there is a woman in our church who came to Christ at least a decade before her husband. God, they, were, they married each other. They were both unbelievers. And, uh, and some things happened in this woman's life. And she came to Christ dramatically, instantly, powerfully. And she talk, told her husband about it. And he didn't want anything to do with it. And it was a decade of her husband seeing her life changed by Christ that ended up leading her husband to come to Christ. I know this couple. There, there, there's, there's multiple purposes in Submission being missional. The second, and this is the only time we're jumping out of this passage, I I want to show you Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. This is interesting. There is a missional aspect to the individual you're submitting to. If you're submitting at work, if you're submitting at government, if you're submitting in the home, it's missional. But then there is the watching world. I want you to see verse 4. And so train the young women. Train the young women. Now, let's read this and see if, if young women are trained to do these things today. Train the young women to love their husbands, and children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. And then he gives you a reason: that. that the word of God may not be reviled. See what happens is, the world is watching marriages. And when they see a woman who will not submit to her husband, here's what they say, "Ha ha. You're just like everybody else. You only believe the Bible when it's comfortable. You don't really believe this because when it gets hard and when it confronts you and when it does the opposite of culture, you don't budge. See, what, what happens is, when, and men have too, but this is, that's a different sermon, but women have been lied to so much in our culture. Women have been told that the most valuable, meaningful, joyful thing that they will experience in their life is their education and career. It's not. It's not that for men either. That your relationship with God, your meaningful relationship with friends, and your relationship with your extended family, your biological family, will be what makes life meaningful. I have an incredibly meaningful job. I love what I do. And it's not nearly as meaningful as having three kids and a wife. And so there is something incredibly meaningful that the scripture's pointing you back to to say, if you're gonna figure one thing out, if you're going to be educated in one area of your life, figure out, both men and women, how to relate and respond to one another. And so he, he, he encourages women to submit. But let me, let me take a moment and tell you what submission is not. I need to just take some time. There's so many caveats in here. And by the way, because I can't get into everything, I'm going to recommend two resources. Uh, one is God, Marriage, and Family by Andreas Kostenberg. If you want to buy this book, a great book that talks about, well, God, marriage, and family. Okay, if you've got a minute Um, and then the second book is Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. They're both really thick. They're both really good. Because um, I can't give, I can't say everything about everything. I can't deal with your super duper unique situation that may exist. But, but these are helpful books that, that would help you with it. So here's what submission is not. Submission, first of all, it's not talking to single women. It, it, in every instance, it says submit to your own husbands. So how does this affect single women? Single women do not date a man you do not respect. If you don't admire him, if you don't look up to him, if you don't say, I could follow you somewhere, don't date him. And please don't say things like, he has potential and no one understands him. (laughs) We understand him. He's a fool, okay? (laughs) See, there are too many men who are looking for a woman with a job, a house, and very little discernment, okay? And they want to take advantage of that, they want a second mom. And so it's not that we submit to all men. It's, it's not talking to single women. Uh, it's saying to the married women that they only submit to their husbands. It's saying that we only submit in the context of the home. This is not um, a dealing with business. This is not dealing with government at the time. Um, this is not dealing with the church. It will deal with the church in chapter 5. Um, all of this takes place in the, con, in the context of a loving relationship. I don't know if you saw this, but years ago, Candace... Cameron Burr, she's the, one of the girls in Fuller House and Full House, uh, she, was on some, she wrote some book and she was on some, new, uh, some interview, mainstream media interview, and she said on this interview, she dared to say out loud, I love to submit to my husband and follow his leadership. And the mainstream media had a seizure and a hissy fit at the exact same time <laughs> because they could not handle an intelligent, beautiful, articulate, successful woman speaking like that. So it's, it's not about your competency. See, when we lose a sense of calling from God, all we have left is competency. All we have left is who's better. Now look, my wife is better than me at many things. Okay, most things. Okay, everything. But that I've still called to lead, and we'll talk about that as we get there. Um, and it's never, submission is never forced, but freely given. Submission is never blind, but intelligent. You don't submit if asked to sin. So what is submission? Um, I, I've heard it talked about a couple of different ways. Uh, a, a soft way that I disagree with and think is unbiblical and unhelpful is, is people will say, oh, here's what submission is. When me and my wife disagree, and that happens every once in a while, I have to cast the tie-breaking vote. And that would, might be part of what it means to lead and part of what it means to submit. By the way, it's usually only submission when you disagree, right? Um, but... Submission is something deeper. It's the perspective and posture of a woman's heart toward her husband. It's, it's, here's, here's a longer definition. Submission is the joyful posture of the heart and a disposition of respect and admiration that you have toward your husband. That's what submission is. And, and again, when these things are preached, everyone gets angry. But when they're lived, it's so beautiful. When preached, it's attacked. When lived, it's attractive. So I want you to see, and this is such a genius way that God, through Peter, appeals to submission. He says, a wife's submission is beautiful. I want you to see this. Look at me at verse 3. He's going, to t- he's going to appeal, and I've never met a woman who doesn't want to be beautiful. I've never met a woman who wouldn't like to be more beautiful than she currently is. And what's going to be so interesting, you're going to see this arise right out of the text, is, is Peter... The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is going to appeal to a woman's desire to be beautiful as a reason to submit. Let me show you. Verse three. Do not let your adorning be external. And he doesn't mean, um, when he says that, he doesn't mean I don't care at all about how you look. He doesn't mean stop wearing makeup, put your jammies on, and go on the Eto's diet. You know, Cheetos, Torsitos, Doritos. That's not what he means. Just give up. You know, no, that's not what he means. Um, he can't mean that uh, for a couple reasons. One, you know, the Bible talks about external beauty. You don't want to be more spiritual than God. So the Bible will talk, you know, uh, talks about how beautiful Rachel was in the Old Testament, it talks about how beautiful Sarah was in old age. The book of Song of Solomon, in large part, is language about the beauty in, uh, of both man and woman. So he says this do not let your adorning be external. And then he gives three things. The braiding of hair, and the putting on of jewelry, or the clothing you wear. I'm going to talk about the three types of beauty here. The first we see here is the beauty of the selfie, I'll call it, or the beauty of the external, or the beauty of looking better. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with caring about how you look. There's an old Southern statement that says, hey, uh, in regards to makeup, if the barn needs painted, paint it, okay? (laughs) Okay? You're like, did he just say that? I did. It's not my saying. That's an old saying. But the whole idea is if you need to take care of yourself, that's okay. And I'm trying to, it's like, okay, a sermon on submission where I'm also talking about how women look. Yikes. You know, that's how I feel right now. Um, But it's what comes up. So here's what this means. Um, This is the nicest way I can say it. An unkept wife can be a great discouragement to her husband. In the same way that an unkept husband can be a great discouragement to his wife. Like, you know, you men, it's like some of you, like, you want her to get the salad, you want to get the cheeseburger and fries all the time, right? It's like, some of you men, your plan is uh, get a pair of sweatpants with an elastic band and see how things work out. It's like, that's not a plan for health. We, We have to, as men, take care of ourselves as well. You're one of the greatest gifts to your spouse. Most men, if they would brush their teeth if they would keep their fish hair clean, if they would trim their nails and all the women said amen, right? Uh, if they would do those things and, and potentially put on some and take care of themselves, it would be a great blessing to the wife. So, so the danger is, what it really means is don't let your, um, your beauty be mostly or just merely external. But secondly, it says, look at verse four, but let your adorning, adorning literally means to, to make something pretty, to make something beautiful. Let your adorning... Be the hidden person of the heart. So this is the beauty of the soul. There's the beauty of the selfie, how you physically look, and then there's the beauty of the soul. There's the beauty of looking better, and there's the beauty of licking, or uh, not licking. No, living better. i got to preach this four times. Here we go. Um, Let your adorning be the hidden person, hidden person. So this is great. What God's saying is you are more than a body, not less. You are more than a body, not less. What is so dangerous is, and the scripture talks about this, is women who are beautiful externally and ugly internally. The Proverbs use graphic illustrations. They're like, it's like a pig with a gold uh, ring in its snout. In other words, it's something small and beautiful, but there's a lot of ugly all around it. And sometimes women can get away with murder because they're good looking. I know, things we're not supposed to talk about in church. but um, so, it's like, so it's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work on the hidden person of the heart. That's your character. Character is who you are across time. Your character is determined by your choices. That's what it's talking about here. And it says this, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. So there's two types of beauty, perishable and imperishable. This is why the beauty industry in America depends on one thing, youth. This is why last year's models are currently unemployed. Because if the standard is beauty, you need youth, 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 youth. So he's saying this, there's an imperishable beauty. What happens in your life is your soul and your body go in opposite directions over life. If you're a Christian, your soul says, I love Christ more, I feel more alive, I feel even more forgiven, the cross is bigger in my life, I hate sin more, I love Christ more, but your body is falling apart. The book of Ecclesiastes in large part is about the body falling apart. Paul says, outwardly we are perishing, but inwardly we are being renewed. And then he says this. Here's, here's what the focus on. <clears throat> he says, here's what makes a woman beautiful on the inside. A gentle and quiet spirit. Now, what does that mean? Gentle, I wish they would have translated it literally. I mean, it's the word meek. Now, meek means strength under control. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's, it, it, these women are not weak. It's going to say in a minute in verse 5 and 6, it says, they look to the future and they don't fear anything. They're like, I'm not afraid about my kids. I'm not afraid about the future. The future is bright to me. I laugh at the future. That's the Proverbs 31 woman. And so it says, the imperative view of you a gentle. So gentle means meek. It means, it, literally, the, the most literal way to talk about it would be, um, I have a sword and I don't need to use it. That's the language of meekness. And quiet, quiet doesn't mean mime for Christ. Okay, That doesn't mean that you never say anything. Quiet has to do with a peace and trust and hope toward God in the midst of everything that's going on in your life. But then third, I want you to see this. After he says there's a beauty of the selfie and the beauty of the soul, he says there's a beauty of submission. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women... So he's looking to the past. He goes, this is how women have always... Godly women have always acted don't have what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, where you look back and go, oh, how silly were those women? No, this is how godly women have always acted. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. What it's saying is that one of the things, not the only thing, there's the external beauty, there's the internal beauty, but then there's the relational beauty of how you relate to your husband. And I don't know how else to say it, but there are some of you in this room who are not as beautiful as you could be primarily because of how you treat your husband. And those of us who've seen it, it makes us uncomfortable. The way that you talk to him. The way that you demean him. The way that you put him down. In the same way, what he's saying is, there's nothing more amazing than a woman who takes care of herself on the outside works on herself on the inside, and then realizes the unique way she can be beautiful in how she relates and responds, her posture and her perspective toward her husband. Which leads me to the third thing, that submission is very practical. Submission is practical. Look at verse six. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, why mention Sarah? Because Sarah, like you, is not perfect. If he was going to go after the best woman in the Old Testament, he would have chosen Ruth. He purposely chooses a woman who made mistakes and sinned, because it's not about perfection but progress. It's not about perfection but direction. So he says this, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So what, what is it talking about here? Don't get caught up too much on that phrase, calling him Lord. Basically, that was a term of respect and endearment back then. It was just, it was, here, here's the big idea here. The number one way that your submission, if you care about this, and I think you should biblically, if you care about this, the number one way your submission will be shown is in how you talk to and talk about your husband. That's what it's saying. It starts in the heart, but the first place we're going to see it, it starts in your attitude, it starts in your mind, but the first place we're going to see it is how you talk publicly about your husband. And let me just encourage you, your words are incredibly powerful toward your husband. If you want your husband to be respectable, start respecting him. You could speak incredible life in your husband. I remember we were about to plant this church. This is like, you know, and at the time it was, our whole launch team was me and my wife and our two kids at the time. You know, and our two kids aren't Christians, so I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out yet, okay? Because uh, they were really young, and so it's like, you know, this is what it was. And I remember telling my wife, we're going to do Winston Salem, we landed on that, and Summit Network, and we're going to plant this church. And I remember my wife saying to me, I think if you plant this church, people will come and people will follow you, and it will grow. And I said, oh, Okay. <laughs> I'm still living off that compliment. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, there's just there's just something powerful. So that's to say it positively. There is something so powerful. About a, a, a woman's, a wife's word to encourage her husband to do something. But let me just tell you a couple things to be warned about. And I'm going to try to say this as nicely as I can. Because uh, you deal with women differently than you deal with men. But here's what I want to say to you wives. Do not talk about your husband's faults and failures and flaws in front of other people. Very disrespectful. The wife, what you're doing when you do that is you go, look at my idiot husband. Isn't he so stupid? Let me tell you another stupid thing he did. It's like, guess what? You're the stupid person who married him. I guess if you married him, you're the kind of person who marries a stupid person. See, one of the number one rules in marriage is you do not want your spouse to lose because then you live with a loser. It's like, you don't want, it's like, I won. It's like, no, you didn't because now you live with a loser. That's not going to be helpful, and so I think there's many wives who they mean well, but it's like, it's the holidays, and it's funny, and listen to this incredibly stupid thing my husband did. Another thing I'd say is don't try to be his mother, his coach, or his critic all the time. Whenever, and this this works for both, this works for men and women, whenever you need to correct your husband or correct your wife, it should always be done privately. It should be done no more than once a day, and you should have a commendation sandwich, where you say something nice, <laughs> then the correction, then something else nice. That really is. I heard a guy who's been counseling for 40 years. He said that. He said no more than one correction a day. It needs to be done in private, and then it need, that works with friendships. That works with anything. It's like we can't handle. It's like look, we know our shortcomings. We know how we need to grow. We need just one, maybe one a day, and I know that's going to be it. You're going to say, "I love you. You're a great husband. You know, you're the best husband." <laughs> uh, but could you could you please unload the dishwasher because you're the best husband? I mean, something like that, you know. I mean, because <laughs> I love you. Um, and so it's like th- That's kind of the idea there. Also, it would be you know if you can encourage instead of condemn, if you can cultivate instead of complain. In other words, you know, in other words, instead of saying. You know, you never do devotions in our house, and, and you know, I'm just tired of you just not, not leading spiritually. It's like, that, that's not going to lead the best response, you know. If the, the, in the flesh, you guys would go, well, there's a couple things I want to tell you about, you know. Um, but, but if you say it in a way, you know, I would love it if you would lead our family spiritually. I see you as the spiritual leader in our family, and I would love you to step up and just lead us. You know, I think, I think there's the deepest part of every man says, yes, I would like to do that. If you'd say, you know, instead of saying, you know, we never go on date nights. You never take me out on a date. I would love to spend more time with you. And I want you to lead in that. Would you creatively think about how we could spend more time together? I know we're on a limited budget or whatever. So it's all about, it begins with, and and here's the thing. If you begin to uh, talk to your husband that way, it'll change how you view your husband. And it will actually change how he views himself. Which leads to the fourth and final point. A wife's submission should be honored by her husband's sacrificial leadership. A wife's submission should be honored by her husband's sacrificial leadership. Verse seven is all for the men. And and the main theme in the Bible, even before we get to verse seven, the main theme in the Bible for men is that you are the head of your home. You don't get together with your wife and vote on it. God voted on it. You are the head, you're either a good head or a bad head. You're either a good leader or a bad leader. You can't say I'm not leading, you can only say I'm leading terribly. You can't say I'm I'm not the head, you can say I'm a terrible head. And what men need to do is they need to take responsibility for everything that happens in the home. It may not be your fault but it is now your responsibility. This is why in the garden, God says, I'm going to talk to Adam about Adam's sin. I'm going to talk to Eve about Eve's sin. I'm going to talk to the serpent about the serpent's sin. And then I'm going to go back and talk to Adam about Eve's sin. And he's going to bear primary responsibility. So this is a short verse for men, but it is packed with truth. So let's unpack it together with the time we have left. Here's what he says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with means you actually have to live with her. You have to know her. You have to spend time with her and talk to her. Some of your women are like, preach, you know? (laughs) Tell them. Uh, The average American married couple speaks to themselves face to face for four minutes a day. And you go, well, how can that be? Well, maybe you've never been married with kids and lots of responsibility. It's very, very hard. You have two people they've got lots of kids and they've got, maybe they're both working. Maybe one has to get up early. Maybe one has to stay up late. Maybe they're just very, very busy in life. Maybe their kids are also playing sports and have activities. Maybe they also like to watch Netflix, but they watch different shows. It's like, you'd be surprised. You have to work hard to have face-to-face communication. And the best marriage therapists say, if you don't have at least 90 minutes a week, your narratives won't be synced. So that's roughly about 15 minutes a day at least or at least it's a significant date night or something, you have to sync your lives together. So he's saying, I want you to live with your wife in an understanding way. It means that you have to know things about your wife. Husbands, do you know your wife's love language? You're saying yes and she's saying no, okay, probably. Um, Husbands, do you know what your wife means when she says nothing's wrong? (laughs) Because it doesn't mean nothing's wrong, okay? (laughs) Well, you have to know your wife, because then he's gonna say this. He's gonna say, showing them honor. This is amazing. He appeals to a woman's desire for beauty and a man's desire for honor. He speaks to each differently. He says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And he says two things simultaneously. The weaker vessel, so there is a difference. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So you're both heirs, but the weaker vessel. Now let me talk about that for a minute. Um, It says weaker vessel, not weak vessel. In other words, we're both weak. It's talking about the wife, it's saying she's a weaker vessel. Well, there's two ways that a woman is a weaker vessel. And they're very, they're biblical, but they're practical. Um, they, they, They show up psychologically and sociologically. This is the truth. Two ways. Number one, a woman is weaker physically. A man is three times stronger than a woman with his upper body and twice as strong as her with his lower body. Now, I know there's a few of you out there who crossfit and can beat me up. Fair enough, okay? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, but generally speaking, a man is more physically strong than his wife, so he should use that strength to serve. He should use that strength to protect and promote and provide. Um, but secondly, a woman is weaker emotionally. Now, what does that mean? It means that a woman is more prone to negative emotion. This is just a, this is a fact. Here's what I mean by that. Now, now we could go, men, men are weak in their own ways. Okay? Men, uh, more likely to be an alcoholic. Men. Uh, more likely to have ADHD. Men. Uh, more likely to have antisocial behavior. Men. That's a different sermon. Um, what it was saying is, women are four times more likely to have anxiety and depression. Women are, and it, it, it's, it, there's a lot of good uses for it. Here, here, women are more prone to negative emotion. This is why Almost every time, a woman knows when the marriage is falling apart before the man does. Every time there's a couple in my office, I'm like, I I say to them, I say, okay, so on a scale of one to ten, rate your marriage. And the man's like, seven, maybe eight, you know? And like wife's like, two, we're dying. It's like, uh, I'm going with her, okay? Um, Because usually the woman, this is why, by the way, 75% of divorces are initiated by women. Maybe you didn't know that. And so what it's saying is a woman is more sensitive emotionally and more sensitive physically. All it's saying is, in some ways, it's saying she's more valuable, so handle her with care. That's what it's saying. And then it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then here's the main thing. It says, showing honor. Showing honor. What you want to be is you want to be an honorable man worth following. You need to hear this man, your wives will not easily and automatically respect you. What are you doing to be an honorable, respectable man? You have to lead yourself first. You need to know, God says to every man what God said to Adam in the garden, "Where are you?" Where are you? And then here's another question, "Where are you going?" Before you connect your life to a woman, and God forbid, children, do you have any idea where you're going in life? And he's saying, I want you to honor, let me give you a few practical places you can honor her. You can honor her verbally. Out loud, all the time, you tell her how much she means to you. You, if, If a good thought comes to your mind, you just say it. If a bad thought comes to your mind, you don't say it, okay? You just say the good thing. And here's the rule with women. When you're embarrassing them for how much you're talking about them, you're getting close to talking about them enough. If she says, you're embarrassing me, keep going. You're getting close to saying enough kind things about her. So you want to honor her verbally. Secondly, you want to honor her relationally. You want to pursue her. You want to have something that looks like a date night. You're like, date night's not in the Bible. Your wife thinks it is, okay? It's in the Bible. Um, You need to pursue your wife. You need to make time for her. Uh, Third, you need to honor your wife financially. I know this is a tricky situation. I know we're all in different financial budgets. Here's what this means. I have seen too many guys who, um, they are so frugal and tight with the budget, especially with their wives. And they put this enormous pressure on their wives. And they don't create a financial ability to do those things here's our 400 square foot house and our seven kids, and here's $50 a month for groceries, and I want you to homeschool. Yikes, I mean, no! (laughs) All of you are like, no, no, no! It's like, okay, that's fine, homeschooling's great, praise God, you know, all that other kind of, having lots of kids, great job. Um, but you want to create a financial environment. I'm not saying you have to make a lot of money. You have to create a financial environment where your wife thrives, and you've got to quit trying to control her. I know these guys, and they're jerks. Where are you getting your haircut? Can't you get it cut somewhere else for $10 cheaper? I saw you went to Starbucks. You got a $5 drink. You know there's $3 drinks there. It's like stop that kind of stuff. It's like if someone's going to sacrifice on the budget, you are. And so I just, you know, it's just foolish. That's not servant-hearted. That's not sacrificial. Finally, you have to honor your wife organizationally. Do you have a schedule that works? Do you have a budget that works? Do you have a house that works? Do you have an environment in which your wife and kids can flourish? That is ultimately your responsibility. You're going to have to figure it out. Let me just say this. Many of you, and this is fine, this, I don't have time to get into all this, but many of you, you're double income, no kids. And then kids are going to come into the picture. And men, you need to figure that out now. Whatever, wherever you're going to land on it, you need to figure it out now so it's not the extra pressure at eight months of pregnancy. You're going to have to figure out how your finances are going to work, how your jobs are going to work, how your kids are going to work. That's your responsibility. You Here's what it means to be a man. You say let's. The leader in the home says, let's more. Let's read. Let's pray. Let's walk. Let's go out. Let's talk about the kids. Let's think about another home. Let's go on vacation. Because here's what God says if you don't do that. I want you to see what the final thing he says. He says something more difficult and tougher to the men than he says at all to the women. He says this, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's the final thing God says. God says, and I can't think of a more serious thing for God to say. God says, if you don't love my daughters and live with them in an understanding way and serve them and lead them and sacrifice for them, you're on your own. And some of you, you've been, I've been praying and I wonder why my business is failing. Maybe you need to go love your wife. The problem is some of you have been on your own for so long, you don't even know it. And I'm going to pray in a few minutes, and I want you to grab your wife's hand as the first sign of repentance. I'm going to be different. And wives, for you to grab your husband's hand and say, that's it, I'm going to learn how to submit. I'm going to trust you that you're going to learn how to lead, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the best that I can, and I'm going to learn how to follow you. And I'm going to start changing the way I think about you, I'm going to start changing the way I talk about you. And I know this isn't easy, guys, but this is the very heart of the gospel, See, what did Jesus Christ do? He submitted to God the Father. Submission is as old as God. He submitted to God and he said, I am going to, I'm going to obey what you you." God made the plan of salvation. God the Father said, This is the plan of salvation. And Jesus Christ said, I'm going to submit to it. And the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus Christ. And see what Jesus Christ did is he lived with his wife in an understanding way, the church. He said, I know she can't die for her own sins. I know that she needs someone to go live a perfect life, and so I'm going to do it. Men, if you've ever struggled and said, well, I have a very difficult wife to love, Jesus has a more difficult wife to love. There is nobody more difficult than the church. There is nobody more adulterous than the church. There is nobody more rebellious than the church. And yet Jesus Christ loves his bride even when his bride was crucifying him. That's the power of the gospel. And that's where you need to go. Wives, you need to go to Christ and say, he submitted, I can submit. Men, you need to go and say, Jesus Christ honored his bride, I can honor my bride. Because here's the truth. We talk about mission in our city. We talk about making a difference. But if wives don't submit to their husbands, and husbands don't sacrifice, serve, and honor their wives, how are we ever going to reach this city and model the gospel before it? Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for the men and women to be encouraged. It's a hard word, but an encouraging word because we don't ever want to take the grace of God out of this situation, Lord. And I pray for any marriage in this room that feels like it's really on the rocks. None of us are where we should be. None of us are where we could be. Lord, I pray for the men to step up, to be respectable, honorable men worth following, where a wife would say, "I would, there would be nothing more I'd love than for you to lead me and I'd love to follow you. Lord, I pray for women that there would just be an aroma, a gentle and quiet spirit in our church where we have strong women who are fearless about the future, but they love to follow the leadership of their husband. Lord, we pray that that children would be raised in that type of home and that, that the world, starting with our neighbors, would begin to see that, and that would give us an opportunity to tell them about the hope that's in us. We pray this in your name. Amen.